Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. Hey there, everyone. Kelly and Chelsea bringing you another episode of the Brave Parenting Podcast. Today, we are talking about shopping. It is shopping season after all. For some, I suppose it is always shopping season, but culturally, right, Christmas brings shopping to just a whole new level. And so today's podcast kind of has two parts because honestly, there's quite a bit we could cover, but we're going to be looking at the concept of shopping, what it was, what it is now, sort of the impact of that change. And then in the second half, we're going to look into how shopping has changed with the advent of online shopping and e-commerce sites and fast fashion apps such as Sheen and Timu. With this, we want to sort of highlight how these apps function. Because I think it's super important to know. And of course, we're going to give you our brave parenting final analysis on whether you or your teens should be using those apps. Man, I have such fond memories of shopping at the mall. I remember this one girl, she was like the most popular girl in our fourth grade class, but she had her birthday party at the mall and her parents like all gave us $10 like to go to Claire's, you know, like that was like really cool back in the day, right? But shopping has just changed. The internet, of course, has changed us and the allure of efficiency has changed how we shop. And because of that shift, really, Kelly, shopping isn't a social event anymore. It's a transaction. And actually, so much of our lives have become transactional, haven't they? It's like our communication and our interactions, they don't involve face-to-face or even voice-to-voice engagement anymore. And online, we communicate in the transactions of likes and loves and shares and yeah, it's like now shopping is just it's just a few taps on our smartphone. There's really no human engagement whatsoever. I think that's why I don't like it anymore. <laughs> and that's really what I want to touch on as we get started on this episode is what was lost when shopping malls became obsolete? Because while we can do nothing to bring the ball the mall back, it's important to understand the role that it played. A lot of us, especially those of us who are over 30, have such fond memories of going to the mall. I am lucky to live in South Texas where it's warm enough that we still have an open air mall near us in San Antonio. And so we do have that. My kids still have that. So my kids still kind of have that experience of going to the mall. But as we all know, social life has just changed for teens in general. Even if you're at the mall, you don't see social engagement. You see them looking at their phones or taking pictures. It seems like more of an opportunity for a photo op, right? But as we know, so most most malls across the country have just sort of died. Some of them were on life support up until COVID, and then that just pretty much finished them off. But it wasn't always about shopping. You know, it's just, it was about going there and connecting with your friends in this place outside of the home. And so we found this really interesting Time Magazine article titled, Why the Death of Malls is About More Than Shopping. And I want to share this quote from this. This is just beautifully articulated about what the mall was. It says, quote, it was the home of first jobs and blind dates, the place for family photos and ear piercings, where goths and grandmothers could somehow walk through the same doors and find something they all liked, end quote. I love that because I remember going to the mall for family photos. I definitely remember getting my ears pierced at the mall. And so, you know, that was just where we hung out. We escaped isolation and just existed in and among other people. Now today, some very overzealous optimists want to claim that social media is just the new 
mall where teens hang out. You know, when I think about that, I think, okay, first of all, there could be some similarities. Yes, you can buy products at both places. You can see all sorts of different kind of people as you stroll or scroll. You could communicate with friends. Maybe you text them and you comment, but you can't talk to them. Maybe you could watch a movie or find something to read without paying for it, like we used to do at Barnes and Nobles. Um, But what the mall offered really wasn't transactions. Like you said, it was the experience of community, but in real time. You absolutely may not have known everyone that you walked past, but that by no means gave you anonymity. Not even the goth kids outside Hot Topic would have told that nerdy kid walking by to go kill themselves like a lot of teens would do today over social media platforms. We just didn't say those things to people's faces. Not only that, but the only like curation kind of involved in your interactions with friends, what you decided to wear to the mall that day. Everything was in present and real time. There were no filters. There were no hashtags pointing you to one product over the other. Instead, you really did have the freedom to be authentic, which ironically, Authenticity is what everyone encourages on social media, but just because of the transactional nature of social media, it's never going to be achieved. It's always going to be that carrot they're chasing. Even when they dub authenticity the word of the year, it still doesn't mean that it's going to actually be achieved. And those are excellent points of comparison, especially when that of experiencing the community in real time. And that just reminded me Chelsea, do you remember when Snapchat's slogan at one point was, life's more fun when you live in the moment? You know, they so focused on the moment because that's what Snapchat offers you. You only get a moment of someone else's time, a snapshot, right, of their life. You don't actually do life in real time, sharing successive moments together as you're hanging out at the mall. But no, Snapchat just gives you this one picture to make you feel connected to that person. It's just so false. (laughs) There's no real connection there. And to add to that, the Time Magazine article, I want to quote it again in this article of why the death of malls is more about more than shopping. It says, quote, our digital lives are frictionless and ruthlessly efficient. Okay, hold on. I'm going to pause right there because (laughs) frictionless and ruthlessly efficient. I'm going to add Snapchat's new slogan. I don't know if you know this, Chelsea is the fastest way to share a moment. The fastest way. You want to talk about frictionless and ruthlessly efficient, what they call social interactions, is the fastest way to share a single moment. So not only am I not going to give you, you know, 30 minutes of my time, hours of my time as we hang out together at the mall, but I'm going to, the, the quickest way possible, the most most ruthlessly efficient way possible, I'm going to take a picture of half of my head and the rest of the ceiling, and I'm going to send it to you and call it, you know, a a contribution to our streak. And that's how we're connected, right? It's so, it's so false. And it's just, anyway, I digress. I digress. Frictionless and ruthlessly efficient is what it says our digital lives are. Going back to the quote, it says that with retail and romance available at a click, malls, however, were designed for leisure, abundance, and ambling. You parked and you planned to spend some time. Today, much of that time has been given over to busier lives and second jobs and apps that let you swipe right instead of haunt the food court. Malls, says Harvard business professor Leonard Schleisinger, were built for patterns of social interactions 
that increasingly don't exist, end quote. Now, this Harvard business professor's statement, I think is worth unpacking. If malls were were built to accommodate social patterns of friends gathering, families shopping, and couples eating, we have to ask ourselves, what is then being built right now to accommodate our new patterns of social interaction? Now, before Chelsea and I offer ideas, I just really want our listeners to consider that question. What are we doing right now to accommodate our new patterns of transactional and ruthlessly efficient social interactions? And this is important considering that the past couple episodes, we've talked about the phone being the constant companion, the isolation and loneliness epidemic. So clearly something new needs to be built around these new patterns. That's a really good question. And I think one to ponder for a long time, and maybe even to ask at the dinner table, like your perspective as an adult might be completely different than the perspective of your teenager, but to talk about what are we swimming in, basically what's going on right now that we might not be paying attention to. Now, as a counselor, Kel, my first thought is actually really sad. The first thing that came to my mind is like, as a nation, we're building more mental health facilities right now. You know, I know we've covered this earlier this year that ERs across the nation fill up every single night because there are so many teens that are just struggling to get through a 24-hour day. There's more infrastructure that's needed for those mental health facilities um, because we're just, we are in a mental health crisis, folks. And it's because, because this pattern of social interaction is not working because it's breeding isolationism and anxiety, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for your teens. It's not healthy for you. And it's not relationally fulfilling. That is not how God designed us to live. Right. Yeah. Genesis 2. We were designed to be in relationship. The church is a community. Well, my initial thought was we are building more ways of transactionally interacting, right? More social apps that promote anonymous engagement or self-promotion, more AI chatbots to communicate with instead of with real people, you know, and that may be good for customer service, but it's still not talking to a human. Or maybe you're just, it's AI chatbots, you know, with, with Jesus, right? For boredom, um, we're generating more dating apps to try and make people socially connected. But I, not really positive how well that works, more gaming, more streaming entertainment. And again, I say this just because as parents, as the body of Christ in the church, I believe that we do need to think differently than the rest of our very consumeristic, capitalistic, transactional world. We need to build new structures and routines to accommodate the lack of social interaction. Now, remember in our last episode on our loneliness epidemic episode, We quote it from a Vanity Fair article with Senator Chris Murphy and how he is proposing policy to fix the loneliness problem. And in that article, he stated that he thought, quote, houses of worship could play a key role. Well, if you listened to that episode, you know, we threw up some red flags because, you know, are we as the church going to wait for the government to enroll us into their anti-loneliness solution? We already are the solution. We've been the solution. We are community. We are the answer to isolation and loneliness. You know, the church, I think, can be that old school mall in many ways, a place to go and hang out with friends and community in real time. That, that is where you see authenticity. You don't see that on social media with teens. 
is their shopping, you know, at the church? No, but that isn't what young people need. They really need social connection. Shopping, you know, that's going to happen on their phone. That's going to happen on their parents' phone. That's going to happen elsewhere. What they really need is new patterns of social interaction that isn't transactional. And I think we, as the parents and as the church, we need to find a way to bring back those relational interactions. I think one of the greatest investments that church can make is into their youth ministries in order to restore these lost social interactions and, you know, just ultimately restore Christianity, bringing back absolute truth and making and building up disciples. I think those are really great points. And that's a that's a big solution. But I think we could even focus it a little bit. We could even get a little bit more narrow in our solutions. And I think we need to look at this in the homes and with families. And for parents, I think we need to build back up relational interactions in our phone. Technology has displaced us even in our own homes. This could be done in a numerous different ways, but it could be like hosting gatherings for kids or allowing them just to come over and play and laugh and create and explore no matter their age. But it really means not allowing them to have their phones and be on their devices. You could even build time into your schedule to take your kids and their friends to places like amusement parks or um, actually, I just did this the other day. It was Thanksgiving break and I took my daughter and a few of her friends to the mall. <laughs> Lo and behold, we actually walked around the mall. It was kind of fun. You still have a mall? We do. We do. Most of them have shut down, but we do have one that's kind of like thriving. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, we just kind of window shopped, but I loved it. We didn't get on our devices. We were just hanging out. It was awesome. Was it crowded? No, it wasn't. I went during the day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when everyone else was at school. Homeschool for the win. <laughs> um, but yeah, between you and your kids, you definitely should be trying to build more relational interactions just by not texting one another, but instead calling one another, each other, like making that the new social norm versus texting. And perhaps the easiest way to accommodate for more relational engagement is not to allow social media at young ages. I don't think Kelly and I could scream this from the rooftops loud enough. It's just not necessary. Delay it as long as possible so that their social engagement is face-to-face for as long as possible. Because every single parent will tell you that once you enter into those transactional worlds of social media, very few leave it. And honestly, a lot of parents would say that they feel like they've lost their kids. It becomes the new norm. So parents, there are so many ways to build up relationships before it becomes the problem of loneliness and isolation or mental health struggles. And we pray that isn't what is in your future. But the key is, is we have to be intentional now, not tomorrow. It had it need to happen yesterday. The key is to be intentional now, which means it's going to take work. It's going to take time and energy and effort to erect those new structures, those new norms for your children and for you. But I do believe, and I think Kelly believes this too, that that's where we're going to thrive is in those relationships because that's what we were designed to do. Absolutely. I like what you said, you know, just about talking about it or around the table, talking about these shopping apps. I mean, I'm sure everybody uses Amazon as your go-to and that's that's fine. That has become a norm. But do we advance on into these other apps that we're going to talk about that, especially for young girls, teenage high school girls, young adult girls, these apps have become really, really popular. And so it's it's funny, Chelsea, that, you know, when we started researching this episode, we truly wanted to, to just do a review of these fast fashion apps because they were just sitting there at the top of the app chart all year long. And I kept thinking, 
what is the deal with this? Why are they so popular? But what we uncovered is the same root issues. This isn't even a social media app, these fast fashion apps and, and cheap shopping apps, but they, they all contribute to this same root problem of the content-driven life and how it intersects at the heart, how algorithms and the frictionless and ruthlessly efficient interaction, they lead to loss. That's what happens. It's not, we're, we're not gaining anything by being more efficient and shopping for really cheap items on our phones that we don't need. That, that's not a gain. What happens is this content-driven life, it doesn't just intersect at our heart and affect our worldview in so many ways, but often there's just this deadly collision that occurs because life as God intended it with other people is lost. That, that's the life where we're intimately and relationally involved. It's the life where iron sharpens iron. You're in deep and meaningful relationships, and that gives you purpose and meaning to life. Why do we have this mental health crisis? And we've said it before, teenagers, they're, they're just aimless. They don't have a purpose. They don't know why they're here because maybe they, they don't know God. They've never heard the gospel. And their only worldview is structured by social media, which is not, not healthy in the sense of, just all kind of crazy worldly ideologies, immorality. So we need to we need to get back there. We need to get back and build these new social patterns and be less transactional and less driven by this content consumption life and sort of release ourselves from the leash the algorithms are leading us by. Like that's the vision that I get is that these algorithms literally have us by the leash. That's a I know it's kind of, it's really a disturbing image, like when you think about it, but they do. Algorithms dictate everything you see and kind of almost everything that you buy because they're the ones that are saying, hey, buy this next. But when we talk about transactions earlier, I think we mentioned how the mall was like never about transactions, but they obviously occurred there. I think though it was more about relationships, Kelly, like you would go there with a group of people, you would see your friends, um, maybe, you know, like Claire and clueless where she's just like she goes by herself but she you know it's like retail therapy like it perks her up (laughs) you know maybe but it was more about relationships it was out and you were doing something but I thought what you said about snapchat was really interesting if snapchat is the king of ruthlessly efficient transactions of the moment then shopping apps like timu and sheen they are the queens of ruthlessly efficient transactions of cheap items and so these e-commerce sites They've been coined this new category of fast fashion. And Timu and Sheen, they offer deeply discounted clothing and household goods from China. They employ a unique method for shopping that has absolutely nothing to do with relationships and has everything to do with the exploitation of the flesh. I think we're going to focus a little more on Timu because this shopping app has been in the top five free apps in the Apple Store for nearly the entirety of 2023. More than TikTok more than Google, and more than YouTube. Currently, they sit at number one, which is crazy. Something that's bigger than TikTok. I didn't think I would see the day, right? Um, Sheen on my last check has actually moved up quite a bit and it's sitting there in the top 10. That's a really big deal. So for a full review of the Timu app, you can read our Brave Parenting Guide on Timu. It's on our website at braveparenting.net or you can check the show notes. 
but we're going to highlight how these apps work. And our goal really is to reinforce the importance of building new patterns for relational interactions. Because shopping like this is all about the transaction to purchase it. And then the transaction as you show it off on social media. Now, I realize not everyone does this, but one of the main reasons Timu and Sheen are so popular is because the amount of people posting about their hauls. Both of these transactions are unhealthy. And again, this really is the collision between a content-driven life and the heart. However, we also really want to expose some of the methods employed by these apps that, as I said, exploit the flesh. It's all about these algorithms, right? So, okay. Let's jump into this a little bit. What is Timu and Sheen all about? Now, Timu's tagline is shop like a billionaire, which I think is ironic considering they are losing money. But Timu's sister company, Pinduoduo, surpassed $18 billion in revenue in 2022. So they indeed know how to shop and live as billionaires. Now, Timu, which actually isn't considered fast fashion, because they offer household goods and tools and toys and all kind of stuff. But they entered the U.S. market in 2022. In February of last year, you may remember, they heavily advertised during the Super Bowl, encouraging viewers to fill their virtual carts without having to worry about the cost. And that weekend alone, Timu racked up 426,000 app downloads. Now, to hold that number one spot almost the entire year means there is a constant download of this app across the country, across the globe. It, it really is phenomenal how long one app can stay at the number one spot. Now, Sheen, on the other hand, began back in 2008, so quite a while ago, but it took the pandemic to make Sheen go truly viral. The app's global sales surged from a reported $4 billion in 2019 to $23 billion in 2022. Now, Sheen's strength is its ability to offer thousands of new items every day. Okay, it's my first red flag of the podcast. I'm throwing it up. Can we expose this lie that just subtly settles into our souls that if it's new, it's better? I mean, let's be real. This is a lie that toddlers believe too, right? So you know it is from the enemy of our souls. This lie in general is not specific to the Sheen app itself, but it's what leads people to return over and over again to scroll, to find something new, something novel that will please you, but it's never going to satisfy you. And it's such a lie. And it is the same lie that keeps people from believing the gospel. Or it's the lie that helps people question the authority of scripture because it's it's old. It's antiquated. Surely you can't trust a text from, you know, 4,000 plus years Surely it cannot speak into today's culture. But again, this is how we know it's a lie of the devil. Everything that is new is not always better. But okay. I agree with you. That is a, that is exactly what keeps everybody coming back in. And it's, a, it's an excellent point. So I'm glad you brought that up. And honestly, it'll be important as we continue on as well. So both companies, Timu and Sheen, employ an aggressive social media strategy in order to bring buyers in. Now, when we say aggressive advertising, let me explain that. Timu spends $500 million every quarter, according to one report. Now, that is $2 billion a year on social media banners, ads, paid searches, and so on. Sheen's social media strategy has been popularized by the hashtag Sheen Hall videos, 
in which creators sometimes try on more than 100 items that they got all in one go. So immediately we see this intersection of shopping and social media. So no longer is it just you go shopping for what you need in order to you <laughs> utilize that need in your everyday life of what clothes you need. Now it is very much a, I'm going to buy these things in this transaction, and then I'm going to show it off on social media. It's a part of my content creation. And these companies are using social media to advertise directly and indirectly through these content creators. And obviously it is working. Now, another key feature about these apps is gamification. Now, yes, these shopping apps have been gamified. What does it mean for a shopping app to be gamified? Well, by offering customers the chance to earn credits, which they can redeem for future purchases. Okay, this happens all the time in big box stores. So, you know, maybe nothing new in that regard of having kind of credits or reward points. They also offer free gifts. And these rewards, ironically, can be found under on the app under the games section. They, it's not hidden. It's very clear. They call it games. And, and they include interactive prize wheels and ultimately just exploits the buyer's fear of missing out, their FOMO, as they employ countdown timers as to when a certain deal is going to expire and rolling lightning sales and deals. Visitors to the platform can even play virtual farming games or feed virtual fish in order to win free items with extra incentives, of course, if users keep coming back and if they invite their friends. Okay. I'm glad you held my red flag because honestly, the idea of reward points really isn't anything new. I guess it's just different lingo nowadays. If I go get reward points at Walgreens or whatever, that's very I don't feel like that's gamification. I guess it is. You could call it that, but it doesn't it doesn't feel as much because there's no prize wheel. Maybe. Yeah. There's no prize wheel. <laughs> Maybe more people would come to the mall if there were prize wheels. <laughs> I mean, a lot of retailers do this now, the reward points. So gamification isn't always used for evil because we love and we promote RO, which does utilize gamified methods of streaks and competitions for off-screen time. Um, this is what we see gamification for good, but the gamification in order to exploit the buyer's FOMO, now that's unique. That's where it gets a little bit iffy. Um, an interactive prize wheel and free stuff for referring a friend. I kind of think that's crazy, Cal. I mean, I, I don't know how people spend that much time on this app. I just don't. Right. Yeah. Well, when we reviewed it, it, it feels like it's like Times Square or Vegas, you know, the amount of bright lights and flashing ads and it's tons of pop-ups and it it really it's it's just crazy when you think this is a shopping app one reviewer that we read actually described it as an assault on the senses where every page is filled with promotions and offers in return for referrals i absolutely agree it is an assault on the senses i i did not enjoy looking at the app for research purposes, of course, and, and, and engaging in this stuff. I, d I wanted to just X out of it and not click on the prize wheel, but I thought, no, I'm researching. Let me click on the prize wheel and see what happens. My initial is just that Xbox. I get off my screen, let me look. <laughs> but you know, a lot of people are engaging in those sort of tactics. But as you said, this gamification is nothing new. And it reminds me of the language learning app Duolingo, right? So 
There are tons of stories on the internet about people becoming addicted to Duolingo, a language learning app. And so it came out in 2013. And at the time, it was just employing these you know, innovative methods of gamification to get people to learn this new language. And the app has been consistently ranked at the top of, of apps for education for quite a while. But the stories online, I read some because I was very intrigued about this whole gamification and how long it's been around and how everybody is using it now. And yeah, the stories about being addicted to Duolingo, like going into it for a, a good altruistic purpose of let me help let me learn a new language and then getting so sucked into it that you're not even learning the language anymore. You're just accomplishing and checking off these sort of tasks box so that you don't lose your rank. And so that that's a habit and a compulsion. And when you call an addiction, whether you know you would scientifically or clinically classify it as that, this is red flags, right? We're, we should be throwing up red flags when apps are doing this to us to such an extent that we're calling it an addiction. I think this is what happens on apps like Timu. Like you said, you don't need these super cheap items, but you're so ensnared in the game of this shopping experience that you just end up keep you end up playing it over and over and over again, and you just can't quit it. But the reality is this is actually very little to do about shopping and more to do with just pleasure and satisfaction and winning and scoring a good deal, all those feels that you get. And for the company, it really isn't about pro- providing like quality products at a fair price. I mean, if we're honest, I would venture to say the company really doesn't care about the consumer at all. It was very much like social media apps that we say they don't care about kids at all. They know that kids are on there and they don't care. And I think it's important for us to just kind of talk about Timu's history a little bit, at least what has been reported, you know, what has been said online in regards to it, because it, it should influence whether or not you use the app. So Timu and its sister e-commerce app, Pinduoduo, was founded by Colin Huang, who's a former Google employee. Now, allegedly, according to several investigative reports, and we'll link some of these articles in the show notes, back in 2020, he set up a team of about 100 engineers and product managers to dig into finding vulnerabilities in Android phones and then develop ways to exploit them and then turn that into profit. What ended up happening was the Pinduoduo team, they accomplished creating this Pinduoduo app um, as malware. So that when you downloaded the app, it functions as malware, stealing ton- massive amounts of your personal data, observing your text message, every app that you touch. I mean, just really everything that's going on on the phone is what is reported and has, has happened. And even preventing the app from being uninstalled and also employing methods so that it you know was pushing app updates without the app store review. So we could say, you know, it's kind of sus, as the kids say. <laughs> In regards to this, so it came to a lot of attention and there was a Pinduoduo whistleblower who said that, you know, allegedly they only targeted users in rural areas and small towns. Initially, they were avoiding users in mega cities such as Beijing and Shanghai, and that allowed them to improve its machine learning model in order to offer, offer more personalized push notifications and ads attracting users to open up the app and place more orders, they said. Now, when all of this came to light, um, it's reported that Colin Huang disbanded this group 
and sent this team to work at Timu. At the same time, Google labeled Pinduoduo as um, an identified malicious app, and they banned it from the App Store and Google Play Store. And so researchers then kind of dug into more of this app, and reportedly, they have found that that Pinduoduo exploited about 50 Android system vulnerabilities. Wow. that That is some super shady business practices right there. I mean, if it's true, yeah, I mean, this is super concerning. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what I hear you, what I hear you say is that they targeted the lower and middle classes in rural areas. They targeted those that they knew they could exploit and gather data from for their own financial and personal gain. Now, I interpret that to mean, and maybe I'm wrong, that they wanted to know how to exploit the poor. They wanted to show the lower classes that they too could shop like a billionaire because low-cost purchases trick the brain and heart into believing that like $105 transactions are not the same as one $500 transaction. And if we consider that Amazon is a major competitor to Timu and we reflect on the lack of gamification that it employs to exploit its buyers or its users, I wonder if they took what they learned in their malware experiment and then decided that gamification was the way to go. Thriving, thriving on the feelings of FOMO and the desire to get something for free, they ended up creating a shopping experience that's more like a drug than it is a transaction. Girl, that is exactly, that is exactly it. It's more like a drug than a transaction. Is that not what we refer to like social media as well? What was it like two episodes we talked about the constant companion and how TikTok offers bite-sized entertainment and these quick hits of pleasure. This is this is like drug language. You know, but we we buy into this lie that that is relationships, that that is community, that these transactions, these, you know, quick little experiences of pleasure are what we need. And it's it's not right. We know transactional relationships are inauthentic and unfulfilling. So why do we keep coming back, posting for likes, can, commenting like, like we're having a real conversation with someone because it's more like a drug. We've been calling them transa- you know, transactions, but, but what if Instagram is nothing more than your dealer? What if Timu is just code for your supplier of dopamine hits? I think the bottom line is that apps like Timu and Sheen are nothing better than Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. And in some ways, all of them are no better than sex, drugs, gambling, because they all flood the brain with dopamine and wreck the reward system, the natural God-given reward system that he created in us. And now we're, we're all led to addiction. We say we're addicted to our phones. We say we're addicted to social media. I mean, if we're becoming addicted to shopping apps and language learning apps like Duolingo, we've got a problem. And in all seriousness, it's hard. Let's just be real. When we relate what it looks like to be an addict to the problem of lack of socialization and isolation and loneliness, it's hard to be an addict and it's hard to be friends or even family members to an addict. Now, even if you're both addicts, even if two people are both addicts of the same sort, they don't cancel each other out and that causes them to generate a deep and meaningful relationship with one another. No, the addictions, it 
causes the addict themselves to use people to lie and steal and manipulate in order to maintain their lifestyle. That doesn't have to just be drugs. If you think about it deeply and you apply that to what it looks like to someone who's obsessed with maintaining their social media platform and status or someone who is obsessed with an app <laughs> like Duolingo, it's going to look the same. They maybe hide their behavior in order to sort of not be judged. Wouldn't it just be the most tragic realization for why everyone is so lonely and isolated? It's because of addiction, right? When everything you touch and engage with is gamified to exploit your weaknesses from social media to shopping to education. Now, I know it's not, it's not like meth or heroin. It's not the same, right? But I would call these like low-key addictions to media and tech conveniences. I think they do begin to accumulate, leading us to forget about the outside world, outside of our phone. And it's like when we finally look up and realize, wait, I've been spending so much transactional time in my phone. Maybe, you know, why am I lonely? Like, (laughs) I just think that we're all going to come to this point where we recognize that is unhealthy, but do we have to get so far before we recognize it? What are your thoughts? Mm, I have some thoughts. I just, it's it's sad, especially after reflecting, because we're coming up to the end of the year, reflecting on how much we've talked about loneliness and mental health. And, and then you've just got this kind of like what I thought was a nebulous shopping app. It's just a shopping app, but come to find out it's so much more than just a shopping app. It just adds to what is already such a big problem. Yeah, that my final thoughts are just kind of like realizing God did not intend for us to live like this. He didn't. That's not his intention. And I think, yes, sometimes technology and media can be used for good. Um, It's obviously being used for evil, but technology is just really not neutral. And we really have to think and deeply contemplate how we should be using it, what we're losing, even if we are trying to use it for good. And for Christians, like we are called to discern the difference between good and evil, but also wisdom is the application of better and best as well. Like it's, there's a lot, I have a lot of final thoughts on this, but I think we should just go back to the beginning of the episode, honestly, and really consider what patterns of socialization and like deep and meaningful relationships are you trying to build up right now in your own home and in your children's lives and you know, how how are those patterns of socialization edifying the church and your neighbors and the people around you? I mean, apps that exploit, whether they're shopping apps or social media apps or gaming apps or, gosh, even educational games right now, they all need deep consideration. You know, you could you could absolutely hand over an iPad or your iPhone to your toddler, you know, for some sort of ABC game, or you could pack books in your purse. Or you could get down on the floor and use those magnetic letters with a cookie sheet and you know what I mean? There's there's always another option. So instead of jumping on board with something new, just because it's new and we think the subtle lie is new is better, sometimes we need to return to the old thing. Like Jeremiah says, look for the old ways, jump back on that old path and search for it. I think that's exactly it is always going back to what new patterns are being established for socialization and how can we maintain some of the older ways that are face-to-face. And so when your son or daughter or your teenager comes to you and they want one of these apps because they want to get like super cheap clothes, 
think it's a great time for a conversation. Is it just about having a lot of cheap clothes that aren't going to last? I think it's important to remind them that sometimes you get what you pay for. It's an old school concept. And buying something that may be $50, but that lasts a couple years, may be better than buying a pair of jeans that are $8 that are garbage, you know, or that may not fit you very well because you have just no idea because you can't try them on. These are just, we would call them basic conversation pieces. But this is why we don't allow kids to just have full access to download whatever app whenever on their smartphones. We want to be able to have conversations first and ask questions, get them thinking. Now that you know how much gamification is on these apps, definitely something to be talking about. Could you download it on your smartphone and then view it together with your kid? Absolutely. I think both of you would realize very quickly that, wow, they, are, they do have a goal to exploit me, to get me to buy something so fast, so quick. And they're relentless about it. And then you could have conversations about it. But generally speaking, I really don't think that there is a need at all for anybody, but especially us as Christians, to have these apps, to be purchasing these items. To me, there is enough concern with the origins of the company, not necessarily because it's coming from China, but we don't know of what kind of ethical labor practices that they have going on. They say that they're all about ethical labor, but they're they're just a the middle manager of all these different suppliers, essentially. And so there really isn't a guarantee that they are sourcing their products from not child labor or unethical work practices. And so to me, that is a concern. Downloading the app was a concern just for me, even through Apple, so I could do the research because of what I knew about possible data sharing and taking more information, malware, all of that, all of those concerns together on top of what we now recognize with the gamification and the transactions that are sort of changing the way that we see the world. There just isn't a need for this app going forward. So all right, friends, that that's our Brave Parenting Take. That's what we have for you today. Really encourage you, have those conversations. Have it with your spouse, have it with your kids. Talk about new patterns of social interaction. Now's the perfect time. It's the holiday season. We naturally gravitate towards spending time with family. So again, be sure to check out our Brave Parenting Guide to Timu on our website. And you, hey, you still have time to get your RO for your loved ones for Christmas. We really believe that this type of gamification is the only God-honoring and healthy way to use this gamification. It's to keep you off of your phone, keep the screens out of your hands, and engage in face-to-face relationships. Go check them out at goaro.com. It's G-O-A-R-O.com. Use promo code BRAVE to get your first month subscription free. Hey, y'all, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, go and be brave. <laughs>